That's right. Welcome in. Welcome back, everybody, to a roundtable Notre Dame discussion edition of the Always Irish Show. As always, you can find the program on YouTube. Do hit subscribe if you haven't yet. I'd appreciate that. Give the video a thumbs up if you approve of the content upon its completion. I'd appreciate that as well. Twitter, search bar, always Irish, or at JKZND4. Emails, always Irish, ND at gmail.com. Audio only, anywhere you want me, you can get me. 312-988-15, always Irish radio. Next call-in show, once the staff is complete, I want to know what you think of it. So, tonight we got something different, something special. So much has happened in the world of Notre Dame football the last couple months. I thought it was time to bring in a couple other Notre Dame media members to go over where we've been, but much more importantly, where we want to go. Let's introduce our panel tonight. These two gentlemen, longtime Notre Dame writers, they are recruit Knicks. They have been with various different Notre Dame organizations. They are Nathan underscore Erbach on Twitter and Mason Plummer underscore at the end on Twitter. Do I get that right? Let me unmute myself. That's right. Good. I got it right. And these two gentlemen are the Golden Homers podcast. Wait a second. Was I the first guest on your show? I think I was. I was one or two. I was right up there. Tom Loy was first, I think, right? Okay, understandable. That's fine. But everybody, make sure wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Google, wherever, make sure you get this Golden Homers. Check them out. They know their stuff. Nobody would be on this show with me if I didn't trust them. That's a big deal to me. So, guys, so much has happened. Like, a lot has happened. Big picture stuff, small picture stuff, recruiting, staff, the bowl game, a lot. What I wanted to do is I want to shoot around, throw some different areas at you guys. We're going to hit recruiting as well. That You guys are experts in that. You do great work. I want to hit that. We're going to shoot around a little bit. So I want your guys' opinions. We're going to see where we overlap, we're going to see if there's any differences in some of this stuff philosophically, and we're going to go from there. So let's get into it. Breaking news first. Here's the big picture. This Freeman Notre Dame staff went from almost everybody staying two months ago to now almost everybody going. <laughs> this to me signifies more risk, but with significant reward on the other side if it pays off going this route, going younger, going with these guys. What are your thoughts on the staff build out so far overall? And I'm going to ask you some questions about some of these guys specifically. What do you guys think overall? Are you happy with it? Go ahead, Nathan. Go ahead, Okay, well, there you go. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, like like a lot, a, lot of, a lot of what you said, John, it's very, uh, you know, you thought that there was going to be almost no staff turnover when Brian Kelly left. It, obviously, Brian Polian was essentially the only staff member that went with him minus, you know, I think their director of recruiting or 
whatever her name, whatever her title was at Notre Dame, and then also like their assistant, you know, strength and conditioning coach. So pretty much all the on the field assistants that we knew were going to be retained, you know, we're, were on board for a while. Um, I do think, and just, you know, obviously we haven't had a game yet since he's been announced outside of the bowl game. Um, and a lot of these new coaches obviously weren't on board at that point in time. So there's going to be a wait and see, but just as, like on the surface, I think he's made some great hires. Um, and you, and you see it even most recently with McCullough, um, the running backs coach from Indiana. And, and I think the, the most important part here is you see a lot of these guys that they're after um, are either young and up and coming guys like, like a Chancey Stuckey, um, a Brian Mason, who's been around a little bit, but you know, hasn't been at that big time program yet or their guys. And some of these guys are the rumored ones still like Al Golden, for example, for defensive coordinator. Um, but like even looking at a Harry, he stand a guy that was obviously very successful at Notre Dame was very successful at other stops was in the NFL, um, you know, and so on and so forth. And so I think it's, it's actually becoming a fairly good mix, at least from what's being reported, that's going to happen where you have these young up and coming, really strong recruiters are going to be able to, um, you know, mesh well with not only parents, but, but younger, you know, uh, younger kids and adults. Um, and, and so, I, yeah, so, so far, like I said, on the surface, I think it's, it's going to be a successful staff, but it's obviously a wait and see. Yeah. I think it's going to have some, some bumps. I echo a lot of what Nathan said. You'll, you'll find him and I agree on some things and disagree on others, but this is one that, that I agree with him wholeheartedly on. I think this staff has a lot of potential. We're going to see some bumps in the road. Um, I think there's going to be some coaching decisions where, you know, once we get into the season where we're just like, oh, you know, that wasn't something that necessarily happened under Brian Kelly, who I consider to be a good game manager, <clears throat> maybe not necessarily in big games, but we're going to we're going to see that lack of experience in uh, in some games <laughs> um, that from from Marcus Freeman and his staff. I do. I do like the uh, some of the experience as well as the young guys. So something we're not going to have to worry about is lack of recruiting, which is definitely uh, an, an area of concern for the previous regime. So that's not something we have to worry about. They're going to put you know all their effort into recruiting. Uh, Marcus Freeman and his guys, they know how big recruiting is in today's landscape, potentially bigger than ever in terms of uh, NIL and all that kind of stuff. So um, we're seeing a new era of Notre Dame football. I think it has the potential to be unbelievable. Uh, I think the floor is very high as well. We're, we're, it's going upwards. It's trending upwards. And it could trend you know, astronomically high where we're just like, oh, my God, like Notre Dame is really a, a top two or three program in the country here in the next you know, couple of years once Freeman gets everything the way he wants it. Um, at the very least, Notre Dame is still going to be a top five, top ten program. And uh, I really like the, the trajectory of where things are going. Uh, it's certainly really exciting. Yeah, it's, there are going to be learning moments for everybody. And it's going to be Marcus's first year at the helm and all that. But I go back to, you know what's a good way to accelerate your learning curve? Recruit your ass off. The more high-end talent you have, the easier everything else gets. It's funny how that works. Um, so I feel like you're going to have a blend here as well. Are we thinking, are you guys thinking it's going to be golden and we're just kind of waiting until the Super Bowl's over now? Like, is are you thinking that's why we haven't seen movement at, at that spot yet? Uh, that's kind of my idea for now. You'd imagine that Freeman 
if it wasn't golden, you would you would want a guy like Rossi coming in and recruiting already. Uh, Rossi's the guy over at Minnesota. So you would want him, you know, at this junior day, for example, you want him going out and recruiting your top targets. You want him going out and visiting Keon Keeley, uh, Drake Bowen, guys like that. So I think this waiting around points in a direction to Golden. I'm not saying that with a ton of knowledge about the situation, but that's just kind of the way things are pointing. Um, you you certainly didn't imagine going into these playoffs that the Bengals would necessarily be in the Super Bowl. So I think that's, you know, Freeman's like, come on, man. <laughs> you know, we, now we got to wait another two weeks. Obviously, that's great for, for Al Golden. But at the same time, uh, things got to get get on the road. And uh, you, hope, you hope that since he wins the Super Bowl for Al Golden, if he's the guy, uh, certainly that'd be super cool. But um, yeah, I think this waiting around certainly points to Al Golden. And that, I think that's a direction that Marcus Freeman would like to go. Nathan, are you okay? Are you okay with that direction? If they go golden, like, are you okay with that? Or do you want them to go another direction younger? Or do you like that balance? I mean, his last name is golden. So, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, that's, it's a, it's it's a, a key name point. to get in there for, for Notre Dame. Um, you know, it's funny when, when they were at first, you know, when all the DC candidates were first kind of floating around and there were, you know, maybe eight to 10 guys, golden was probably towards the bottom of my list. Um, and I think probably Mason echoes a lot of those comments as well. I mean, we have like a, we, we've mentioned several times we have a group chat with some Notre Dame friends of ours that I think we all were kind of almost praying that it wasn't going to be Al Golden. But I've done some research over the last, you know, or at least some more research on Al Golden over the last several weeks, and I, I'm definitely warming up to the idea. I like the fact that it kind of kind of going back to what I said earlier, I like the idea that he's been a head coach in the past. Um, he's been known as a good recruiter as a head coach and a defensive coordinator in the past. So I, that those are strong ties to the, to the Northeast, which I think is a, a big Notre Dame recruiting, like stomping ground, beating teams like Penn state and, you know, other programs up there for, for top notch recruits in that area. Um, I think Doug Belk, if he, I don't even know if he's a candidate anymore. I mean, it seems like it might be down to, to golden and Rossi just based on things we've heard over the last, you know, couple days or so. Uh, but Doug Belk out of Houston was probably my top choice uh, starting out. Um, very, honestly, very similar, in my opinion, to Marcus Freeman, um, you know, before he got his chance at Notre Dame, where he was kind of at the group of five level, a younger guy, but just with a lot of energy and really good, you know, recruiting chops. And I think just a really good defensive mind overall. Um, but yeah, no, certainly coming around to Golden. Um, and, and I think the head coaching experience is one of those factors for sure. The... I was in I was in the same boat as you guys with being tempted to want to go all in on young and recruiting, you know, as much as we can. But once Elston left, I I that is a part of me being way more open to Golden coming in here. I have heard he likes Notre Dame, almost came to Notre Dame many years ago. He has an affinity for Notre Dame. He has head coaching experience. Did it Miami's a was a cultural nightmare. I'm not going to kill him on that. But what he did at Temple was very impressive. So I'm coming around to the idea of having somebody with that head coaching experience there, an older guy. Maybe Marcus can lean on for certain situations. I out he's going to recruit. So if it goes that way, I'm fine. Like I'm fine with it. You know. Um, I, I get them wanting some of that head coaching experience in the building. And so 
I understand that. And, and I, I think at this point I've come around to it as well. And I'm kind of thinking that's where it's going to go or something else would have happened by now. So I'm kind of just wrapping my mind around that. Um, but if he could become a reliable resource for Marcus, feeling his way through this initial staff, fine. I could live with that. Um, I want to share with you guys a text message I got uh, from a player's dad over the weekend. And I did not solicit this text. I'm sitting there on the couch watching the football games, and my phone goes off. The text I got from a player's dad was, Washington is going to be a home run. Seeing the way he interacts is already amazing. And Stucky is also going to be a home run. And that came from this parent, I think, who had just met those guys for the first time and said, these guys blew me away. And the energy's great. And they're going to be stars recruiting. Hey, I know that's, I don't know what you could take from that. But that being a parent's initial reaction to meeting those guys, I, th I think is a good sign. So I liked hearing that about those two. What do you think about Washington and Stucky? You know, I, I hate being the, I always feel like I, I, I say good things when, when things yeah, happen. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you're that guy. Um, you are. I, That's a lot why of I'm here. I'm going to balance <laughs> your ass out. Right. Uh, but, but honestly, I mean, it's one of those things where I, when I do the research and I find, you know, it's when I find things that are positive to say, I'm going to say them. And when I think, well, I mean, and I've been negative in the past, I'm sure you can find that stuff on, on Twitter, but, um, I, I just don't really see, I mean, I think the thing with Stucky that might be a little bit concerning as he's really only been a wide receivers coach for one year. Um, so maybe you're going to take your lumps there, but I also think that, it's one of those positions specifically in college that recruiting is first and foremost. I mean, for running back coach, tight end coach, especially at Notre Dame and, you know, and running back coach and maybe a couple other, you know, positions in, on the defense. Um, if you can't recruit, then it, it won't matter how good of a coach you are. I think we saw that with Autry Denson. I mean, there was a reason why his, I mean, yeah, he had some good running. He had some good rushing attacks at Notre Dame, partly because the offensive line was completely dominant. <laughs> But there was a reason why there were other issues there, and it's because he wasn't bringing in the big dogs. Lance Taylor, I think, improved that a, a little bit. But, for example, McCullough, I think, is going to improve that even further. So a guy like Stucky, even though he doesn't have the experience of maybe the the Shepherds or the, the Wiggins from Alabama and, and Purdue, the other two guys that were sort of rumored for the job, I think he's going to connect with players and for all intent and purposes, it seemed like he blew the staff away when he wasn't the leader going in. And I think that's something that's important to throw out there that the staff didn't go in with any preconceived notions and say, Hey, Shepard and Wiggins were maybe our top two candidates. And it looked like Shepard was probably the number one candidate and Stucky went above them with his interview process and what you kind of, you know, whatever he laid out, you know, for what he was going to do with the wide receivers and in recruiting. So, um, and then, with, uh, you mentioned Al Washington. I think the biggest thing with Al Washington is the idea that he's moving back to, I think, the position that he's supposed to be coaching. At Michigan and at Ohio State, he coached linebackers, I think, but he also recruited very well at those stops, and he, and he showed that. But I just don't think he's a linebackers coach. So moving him back to defensive line, Notre Dame already has a pretty established recruiting 
network there on the defensive line. I mean, you look at their 2023 class specifically, um, assuming he can keep a guy like Keon Keeley, you know, I'm perfectly fine with that hire. And I think he's going to be a perfectly fine coach, coacher of the, of the position as well. You agree, yeah. Mason? Yeah, I agree with a lot of those points. Um, something that I've been, can't, you know, an idea I've been subscribing to recently is that, you know, you always think of a coach as, you know, they, they get the guys in, sure, but what do they do as developers of talent? Why not go out and get the top talent and then develop that talent? So be a top-notch recruiter, go get these top-notch guys, and then you can make them even better. Go get these four- and five-star guys. Notre Dame doesn't need to be recruiting a ton of three stars. I mean, you're going to end up with three stars that you think are, you know, underrated and not to say stars or everything, but go get some studs. And I think that's what this class can do. So, you you know, we mentioned earlier about, or not this class, but this, uh, the staff of recruiters. So uh, that's what we mentioned earlier about this staff being a little bit younger and maybe even a little bit naive, but go out and do it, go out and get your guys. And um, I think it's a little bit too early in Marcus Freeman's tenure to to judge these guys. We're going to have to see, you know, down the road, but it's going to be fun to watch, man. We're, we don't have a, a Brian Kelly hiring his buddies. We have Marcus Freeman who's going out and getting the best of the best to, at least in his eyes. And that sucky thing means a lot to me in terms of he was definitely third. If not, maybe, I don't know how many candidates are that we don't, necessarily hear everything right so but nathan mentioned uh wiggins in shepherd so he was at least third and then he goes in there and blows everybody away offered offered him the job and he takes it that has to mean something and he's a he's a younger guy with energy he wants i mean players like him they have to right he has that kind of energy i won't say that charismatic energy necessarily exactly like freeman but he's definitely charismatic from what i've seen and read and man it it gets me excited for what Notre Dame can be because that's a position. And if you want to, if you're serious about winning a college football playoff game and then going to a national championship and winning it, you have to get top notch receivers. And then once you get those top notch receivers, can you develop them and make them into studs? And I, I'm, I have no reason to think that Stucky can't. I mean, he was able to do it himself. He was, he was at Clemson. He went to the league and it, it wasn't there for a super long time, but it, it means something to be in the league. I mean, how many Notre Dame receivers are in the league right now? So he knows what it's like to be there. He's not, older than dirt like Dell Alexander. So um, Chancey Stuckey, I, I'm a big fan and I like some of these other hires too. You see the, the, I think we almost everybody agrees that it, there's a strong likelihood that the overall recruiting effort is going to get noticeably better. But the big question is when it's Notre Dame, how much better can it actually get? And that's, that's, that's my big question. I expect I a lot expect, better. I that's what I hope, but here's what blew me away. When Marcus Freeman first got hired as defensive coordinator, right? And I was all excited, everybody was excited. He was getting established, settled into Brian Kelly's staff. And I have somebody who likes this show who happens to work in one of the buildings over there. And he told me right away, your boy Marcus is messing up the entire recruiting office because he's doing so much. They don't know how to keep up. I was literally told Marcus is throwing that whole department off because he wants to do so much. They're not used to it and they don't know how to handle it. I was told that after like a month of him being here. That is the genesis of when I started to say, maybe this guy is it. 
because he seems to get it. He's going to push it, and I love it. So the question is, improvement, sure. Just how good can it get? And we're going to get to some of those specific areas soon. Before I do that, Nathan, I got to clap back on you on one thing. Yeah, let's go. You, I get the idea that it's a terrific sign. Your program is very, very healthy. Oh, uh, you're going to lose this argument real quick. When all your, are you sure? Yep. When all your guys are leaving and you're saying that's a healthy sign of the program. Yep. I agree with that, obviously. Well, end of discussion then. But it isn't the end of discussion. However, slash comma, it'd be nice if you won something and left. Same with all of our guys that go to the NFL early. It hurts a lot less if you win something, then leave. Oh, Alabama loses every coach every year. They got a trophy case full of results. I'm a lot more open to losing my guys if you give me a trophy. Do you at least, can you see why people react bad to that? If you were that good, you didn't win anything. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I agree with what you said. I just think when, there you when go. I, I won the argument. <laughs> well, that wasn't the argument I thought we were talking about. <clears throat> I, I I'm just that. saying it hurts losing good coaches when you don't feel like you have anything in it, it to show for it. That's my point. That's the, all I'm saying. The biggest thing is, is when you're regardless. And I know, I think the biggest argument right now that people have for, for this specific moment in time, when it comes to Notre Dame is that all those coaches were hired by Brian Kelly um, or at least while Brian Kelly was the head coach and he had to sign off on the hire. Um, I do think Reese had a little bit of autonomy. Um, and I do think that, uh, you know, that Freeman, when he came on board, he was able to kind of choose what he wanted. I mean, obviously kept some guys on board at the time, but the, the biggest thing is, is that co just like good play, good players breed, good players, good coaching breeds, breeds, good coaching. And when you're, when you're coaching staff, and I don't want to say consistently, because I do think that there's been times in the past where they've upgraded. Like for example, when they, when they lost Dembrock and they brought in chip, chip long, I don't think that Chip Long came along to Notre Dame because Dembrock did some terrific job um, at, at Notre Dame. And Dembrock didn't – I mean, if, if I'm not mistaken, Dembrock also left for a, a much different position. But when your guys are getting promoted to Power 5 digs, when they're becoming head coaches at Power 5 schools, coaches around the country are going to look at your program and say, hey, if I go there, regardless of how long it's going to be, Sooner or later, or maybe sooner rather than later, I'm going to be able to get to my ultimate goals, whether that is becoming a coordinator when you're a position coach um, or becoming a, a top notch. I mean, you look at Mike Elko, he's not he's now at Duke. It's not a bad program. It's not a great program. Vanderbilt, give or take, obviously, but that's also an alma mater for the guy who. Hey, you know what makes me laugh? It makes me laugh to think. That if Notre Dame went another direction, Duke would have got Freeman. I would be dead. <laughs> I would die. There's no way I could survive that. If Marcus Freeman went, he was going to get that Duke job if Notre Dame went another direction. Yeah. And I would probably have a stroke. So, Nathan, you're, the totally, biggest thing. you're right, Nathan. It's just this, this immaturity thing of a selfish fan. Before our guys leave early and go to the pros, 
I'd like yeah. him to win something here for us first. That's just a selfish fan thing. And I think um, it would be different. I think it would be different if like Notre Dame was losing their defensive coordinator and their offensive coordinator, like not necessarily to follow Kelly, but like in general, let's just say Tommy Reese next year decided to take the the Oklahoma offensive coordinator job because Jeff Levy got a head coaching job. Then I would that to me, that would not be a positive sign. That's your coach saying, I want to, I'd rather leave than do this. Um, and I, I mean, I, maybe that's the argument some people have for Kelly going to LSU, which I, I, I think is a fair argument, I guess. But, um, but that, that would be a problem to me. But when your coaches are getting promotions, it, it's never going to be an issue for me. That, that makes sense. Mason, what do you think about this? Yeah. So I've got, two things. One, I think, John, I think your point is you don't want Notre Dame to be a stepping stone, right? Where guys come in, oh, I can go be a head coach. I'm going to go be here for a year. But then also to to Nathan's point, or I guess to counter yours, John, would be you want them to win something before they leave. But at Notre Dame, uh, anything other than a national championship isn't good enough. And they haven't had that's one. True. That, that's so, a good point. Yeah, I'll give you that. You're asking for something that they haven't had in almost 40 years now. So we're close. I, I would say Notre Dame's hey, closer than they have and been. I'm almost 40 years old, so you can tell I'm sick of it, okay? Yeah, hey. three years, John. <laughs> um, but wait, while we're on this, before we move out of this, Nathan, you made me think of this. When you were talking about those guys being Kelly guys that are now moved on, in some ways, I think it is a good sign and it's freeing that more of this staff has Marcus's fingerprints on it. I think that accelerates his head coaching learning. The fact that, that those are his responsibility, his guys, big boy decisions. He picked them. I, I, I could like how that plays out long-term. Even if he liked or was comfortable with some of Kelly's guys, I think him having to navigate all this has accelerated his getting acclimated to being a head coach and learning what these decisions are like. And I think, I think him having more ownership of this staff is his could be a big advantage. I think I do. I do like that. It's just the immature fan in me. I, I want us to win something. Then when they all leave, I'll be a lot happier about it. That's all. Speaking of leaving, does Brian Kelly get a statue at Notre Dame? Yes or no? No. Oh, man. Nathan? Oh, you have to probably ask me that in like 15 years. I have no idea. I, I think. Okay, I, I have a question. That does If LSU comes to Notre Dame, does Brian Kelly get booed? Yes. Absolutely. I okay, so if the guy gets booed, does he get a statue? I mean, but the wine and cheese crowd doing the booing aren't the ones who are going to commission the statue either, though. Down so, in front, down in front. Jesus. Here's, okay, here's what I was going to go. If either one of you guys were going to say, he has the most wins, you know, whatever, you got to give him a statue. I was going to say, Kelly did a lot of good things. I'm not saying he's terrible. He just couldn't get it over the hump. And I think a lot of times my thing has been known as Brian Kelly's horrible. No, he's just not elite or wasn't here. He might be down there after he's done dancing. I don't know. But here, he never got over the hump. Here's what I was going to say. If they want to give Kelly a statue, give him a statue. But it ain't going to be anywhere near the stadium. Those statues are for champions. So that's my solution to be able to do both. 
You want to honor him for digging us out of the doldrums that we were in, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. Fine. But your statue isn't going where the guys who won championships are because you ain't in that. You're just not in that category. Sorry. Put his statue at Culver Academies. You don't get a trophy. Listen, you don't get a statue at a Notre Dame entrance when you win the camping ball. Okay? Yeah, I'm with Nathan. Culver. So, John, that's my take. uh, This is one of my favorite takes on the Brian Kelly situation, and I mentioned this on our podcast, so Mason probably knows where I'm going with this. I I think that Kelly maxed out at Notre Dame. I don't think Notre Dame was going to do anything differently if he was there for 10 more years. I don't think that Notre Dame was maxed with Brian Kelly, if that makes sense, or under Brian Kelly. So bringing in a Marcus Freeman or whoever the coach might be that can get him over the hump, there is another level that Notre Dame can reach with a different head coach that Brian Kelly couldn't bring. And that's, again, that's not an insult. I mean, I'm probably one of the bigger Brian Kelly, you know, Notre Dame, you know, positive pumpers out there, (laughs) but it's, it's just true. And and, I think we saw that. He he maxed out his season. I think Kelly saw that. Kelly felt that. And I think that was all a part of this. And I can already tell Kelly's enjoying the increased freedom he has to do things down there. He's pulling 11 or 12 undergrad portal guys to add depth. Notre Dame can't do that. Kelly loves that. Now, here's where this is really interesting. It isn't finalized yet, but if Harbaugh does go to the NFL... There are a lot of scary similarities between the arc of Michigan and Notre Dame the last few years. Really, really good. Some really good seasons. Fan base is excited. Make it really far, and then it goes really bad. Goes really bad. Kelly had those experiences, and he left. Harbaugh, they all thought they were in it to win it. They just had their experience. He might be gone. There's a lot to be that there's a lot to examine with that. Um, I just think Kelly knew he wasn't gonna change him. A lot of this has to do with him. He wasn't gonna start recruiting the way Marcus does next year or the next year. That's just not his deal. So I think in the end, we all might win. Kelly gets what he wants, he could go do what he wants to do. I'm happy because I got my young, energetic guy that I love. Everybody wins for now, right? Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if Michigan doesn't find a guy right away. Go hire Matt Campbell, please. That would make my life so happy. But uh, if you don't find a guy right away and Notre Dame steals a couple guys in in this cycle, kind of shifting to recruiting potentially, John, I don't know where you want to go with this, but um, steal a couple guys from Michigan, specifically a quarterback from the Michigan area, wouldn't, wouldn't hurt. Yep. And, and that's, that's, listen, I had all those Michigan people messaging me. Oh, what are you going to do? The timing on this isn't good. What are you going to do? Well, now look at you. If our timing was bad, what is their timing if this happens now? So I love that dynamic. I absolutely love it. Um, okay. You shifted into recruiting. So let's kind of go down that lane. Okay. Let me ask this, and I'm saying this sarcastically and genuinely at the exact same time. How 
did the Notre Dame wide receiver room turn into what it became? Where, where did it go wrong? Is it coaching, recruiting, developing? Like, why, why are we in this position at Notre Dame where we're in a major bowl game and barely have enough receivers? What has gone wrong? Why are we here? I think the easy answer I think there's is is Dell, which isn't necessarily true. It's a he's a part of it for sure. Um I think he didn't stay on guys long enough. He didn't hit on enough of his top targets uh, that you probably should at a place like Notre Dame. And then it comes down to guys transferring away. You don't it, it's hard to prepare for that. A guy like Jordan Johnson, who everybody thought was gonna be this stud and then he doesn't really play for Notre Dame and transfers doesn't make a catch for UCF and isn't looking like his career is going to go anywhere. Jay Brunell transfers nearly immediately. Xavier Watts moves to defense. Um, I, I would like him to move back by the way. Um, but yeah, so just a lot of unfortunate things that are a little bit out of Dell's control, but are kind of his responsibility at the same time. So recruiting is going to improve at wide receiver because it has to, but um, yeah, at a place like Notre Dame, you'd think you'd be able to get a couple more studs, but uh, I, I, I sometimes I wonder what the optics are for guys that aren't us three as far as like a, a C.J. Williams that is really that concerned about what the offense looks like. How many other guys are wondering about that or are seriously concerned about that but don't necessarily voice it? Now, I, 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 have a, I want Nathan to finish, and then I want to tie something to this discussion. Nathan, go ahead. So I think there's two things, and this might be going a step further than what Mason said. I mean, first of all, recruiting, but I think it's more so the evaluation of recruiting um, th this year, not included because I think this year was sort of like a weird anom anomaly where, you know, they, they read the room wrong. Essentially they thought they had three guys locked up and then kind of like at the last second, two guys left them. And I think that they really would have had a, a solid recruiting class in that aspect if, if that didn't happen, but in years past and, and Mason brought up Jordan Johnson, I don't think, I mean, I think the recruiting services got it wrong with him. And Notre Dame did too. He he just wasn't the talent that people thought he was. And I think he showed that when he transferred to UCF, he didn't even play. I think he can he might end up having a decent career um, and maybe transfer to a power five school or something like that eventually and, and be okay. But it, that was a recruiting miss from an evaluation standpoint. Lawrence Keyes was a recruiting miss from an evaluation standpoint. Just didn't really work out. Um, some other guys maybe weren't recruiting misses in the sense that they were you know, ranked so high and they missed him on. But like, look, look, a guy like Jay Brunell transfers to an Ivy League school after one year. That's not somewhere you want your one of your three guys transferring to. Xavier Watts ends up going to, to safety, which I think me and Mason both agree that he's a very talented player, whether it's at wide receiver or safety. But now no one in that class is even in the wide receiver room. So now you're only bringing in one guy in two classes. Um, which, by the way, Tobias Merriweather, I think is going to be an absolute stud. That's not a recruiting miss, in my opinion. Um, but then you look at some other guys. I mean, Joe Wilkins is now in his fifth year at Notre Dame. He wasn't highly ranked, but at the same time, he hasn't really produced at a high level. Um, Braden Lindsay, I think for, I mean, is okay, but probably wasn't the four-star recruit that people thought he was. He was really just a speed guy and hasn't really shown much outside of that. And there's, there's obviously some other examples. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, keep going on and on, but I think that's the biggest thing from the recruiting, not necessarily not bringing in three or four guys every year. It's been the misses. And then second, it, it goes back to kind of what Mason said, but more so I think the offense and it, what he said with CJ Williams, 
the offense. And, and I think honestly, that probably has to tie in with the recruiting aspect of it. Cause you don't have the guys to, to throw to on the outside so much, but it, it goes back to the, the running game. The offensive line and the tight end play has really been sort of the staple. And it's, that's what Notre Dame even advertises tight end you offensive line. You, they don't say, Hey, look at Chase Claypool in the NFL or Hey, look at, you know, Will Fuller in the NFL, they don't, they don't show those guys. They're, they're showing Quentin Nelson. They're showing Zach Martin. They're showing Ronnie Stanley. They're showing Kyle Rudolph, Tyler Eifert, et cetera. And, and I think that that, especially in today's college football recruiting landscape, that plays a role for kids. Cause they're like, Oh, I'm not going to be the guy when I go to Notre Dame. So those are the two biggest things for me. Does, let me ask this philosophically, you mentioned like, you know, the tight end lineage, the offensive line lineage, um, running backs, running back production been pretty good the last handful of years. Does it surprise you guys at all that with all of those longstanding Notre Dame building blocks in place that are NFL proven that Notre Dame can't find an elite quarterback who wants to be Notre Dame's quarterback and be elite? Like, is that a chicken or the egg? Are they... Are those three, are those quarterbacks that are the, the elite looking and going, I got nobody to throw to at the wide like is there a chicken and an egg thing there where maybe if maybe if Harbaugh's gone and Notre Dame has the inside track on more, maybe some guys will say, Oh man, now that guy's there. I want to go there. Like, how do you get out of this cycle? How do you get out of this cycle? So I think and it goes back a little bit to what I just said about the offense with, you know, the quarterbacks not necessarily being like the feature per se. I mean, you saw, but at the same time, I do think that it's been somewhat overrated the recruiting. I know me and Mason somewhat disagree on this, but obviously Tyler Buckner was their number one target a few years back. So that right there is a really good example, whether he works out or not, that was a guy that they wanted. He was a five-star when, when they landed him that they wanted him. Phil Dracovic, the same thing. He was essentially their number one guy. Obviously, things didn't work out when he was on campus. He ends up transferring away. And then in between those, they landed a few guys, or, or I think right before technically Ian Book was older than Phil Dracovic. So they kind of did this land a what we consider an elite guy, land a project guy, land an elite guy, land a project guy, Drew Pine or whatever. And what but they wait what, a second. Wait, time out. Here's the other problem. Even the guy, I'm saying, why don't we have elite quarterback play? Even the guys we get that by the stars are elite aren't when they come here. It isn't even just the project guys. The guys that come in as five stars don't stick or aren't elite. What is going wrong? That's the worst part. If a guy's a project, he's a project. I understand that. But even our higher ranked quarterback guys don't work out. What the hell's wrong, Kelly? Like, that is the part that drives me nuts. Even the highly rated guys we get don't work out. Where's the elite? Well, I think that's where it goes back to more so like the early part of Kelly. And and that's kind of what you're talking about. I mean, maybe outside of Deshaun Kaiser's one season where he was very good when he was a four-star. But early on in the Kelly, you know, tenure in Notre Dame, he, he missed on a lot of guys um, when, when we thought they were going to be good. I, I'm kind of speaking a little bit more towards obviously recent times. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I and think, with and I think Buckner, we've talked about this with Buckner. 
he had some weird bad luck with like the injury and he lost all this time. And then you have COVID like, but I think it shows a lot from him with all of that to even be a guy that they could somewhat count on this year. I mean, you, you know, Kelly, he doesn't play guys unless he thinks they're ready. I mean, that's just a hundred percent factual, whether it's should be the case or not. Like they weren't going to play Buckner. If, if, I mean, I mean, I'm pissed off that Buckner didn't play in the bowl game. Just to be, I mean, that was the thing that you did all year. And even though, yeah, your offense was clicking in the first half, I thought it was bizarre that Buckner got zero snaps in, in the bowl game. When you think that he would actually be even better with a month of practice going into it. Um, but yeah, no, John, John, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to really say what's been the problem. I mean, it probably goes back to what, what we already said. I mean, some, some ta- talent evaluation misses, um, some recruiting misses. I mean, you hope that the cycle is trending up with, I know, like I said, I know Dracovic didn't work out at Notre Dame, but it's sure looking like he's a pretty good quarterback overall, just at a different program. Well, so good hoping, for Boston college. So, so hear me out for a second. I, I, you, you hope that the trend starting with essentially him is, is making it better. You know, you land Buckner and then you land, I personally like Steve Angeli more than most. And then hopefully you land the stud like Dante Moore. And then all of a sudden no one's complaining anymore. Mason, what do you think? Yeah, I, Nathan and I have very different opinions on Angeli. I'm, I'm not a fan of his game, but to Nathan's point, um, you can argue that Reese is getting his top guy and, you know, whether that's down to him being kind of a bad evaluator of talent or not a good developer of talent, but I believe Angeli was his first offer or was considered to be one of his top guys. And um, Reese completely missed the boat on Drew Aller, Aller, and um, who ended up being a top three player according to 24-7 sports in this class, which is unbelievable because if if Reese gets in on him earlier, I'm very confident that he's a Notre Dame guy. So, Buckner was Buckner was Reese's guy, and then you look at Pine, Reese's guy, and Jelly, Reese's guy. So I don't know what the deal is necessarily. Um, you can blame Brian Kelly for the past ones, but this is Tommy Reese's thing, being the, you know the quarterbacks guy and the, the offensive coordinator. So he needs a win. Uh, you have to get one of these top three. You already lost one in Jackson Arnold. The top three being Jackson Arnold, Dante Moore, and Christopher Vizina. So I think that Arnold and Moore are 1A and 1B, and then there's a little bit of a drop-off with Vizina, who I yeah, still think Vizina is Vizina likes Clemson, right? He's interested in Clemson. It's probably going to come down to those two, yeah. And he does like Clemson, but then he's also in the heart of SEC country. So he's from Alabama. So yeah, things Bama happen. misses on Arch Man, and you're probably looking at Bama entering that mix too. Right, So uh, exactly. So uh, you got to get one of these locked up, and, the, and a quarterback is such a crucial part of a recruiting class, it's hard to even put into words. So this needs to be locked up soon, and I know that Marcus is all over it, but at the same time, like this could be the perfect storm of Notre Dame having this swag and new aura about it, Harbaugh leaving. I know that I, I, I would assume I've always felt that Moore was a Michigan lean, but this could be the perfect storm for Notre Dame where he's like, I'm not going into uh, potentially what could be a dumpster fire. Let me go into something that's new, exciting, a little bit more established. Uh, maybe that's just me speaking as a as a Notre Dame guy, but um, that's kind of what I'm hoping because I think more of the gamer. I think he's not quite as good as Jackson Arnold, and I'm not convinced that whole that recruitment's completely done either. But um, get one of those top three and and see what happens. Interesting. I I just think it's it's just amazing to me. 
I did a show last week. I think I rolled through a list of 18 or 19 Notre Dame quarterbacks in the Kelly era. It's unbelievable how many guys have come through and none of them have hit to the point we need them to hit. Speaking of not hitting to the point we need to hit, what's the deal with our secondary? How, how? You won't have to worry about that for too much longer. I, I hope because it's been a problem my entire life at Notre Dame. And I, who was it? Might've been one of the rivals guys, somebody I had on. And I asked him and I said, what's the deal with Notre Dame and these, these guys they can't get. And this guy said, those dog corners, they're me guys. You know, they're dogs out to eat. It's one-on-one battles and they're all about them. And they're the lead dog. And they're that added, that demeanor isn't always the best fit at Notre Dame. That me alpha dog type type stuff. And that personality doesn't always play well at Notre Dame. And I had this rivals guy based down in Florida tell me, John, you don't understand, man. Like those guys don't even know where Notre Dame is. He goes, when I talk to these guys at camps, they have no idea what state Notre Dame's in. Like you're not even on their radar when you're dealing with some of those guys. Realistically, do you think this, that, is going to get all patched up and filled up. And once this staff gets recruiting, we're not going to have these questions every single season. Who's going to be the other corner? Who's going to be the safety? Tell me you think this is going to get better. I mean, it's always going to be something, but I think the secondary is definitely going to improve and we've already seen it improve. I, I believe the, the corners class that it wasn't all Freeman, but he played a big part in it. it was one of the best that we've are we've seen in the last you know ten or so years at Notre Dame. So let those guys come in and improve. And then I'm still high on guys like Philip Riley. Nathan and I both think that Jaden Mickey's going to be a stud at Notre Dame. So the the corner position I think is getting slowly better. And then safety's in my opinion in a in a great spot after Hamilton's gone. Now you bring in Brandon Joseph, and then you got the two studs and Schuler and Bowen coming in in the 2023 cycle. So, and that's not to mention you're still finding out what you have in Ramon Henderson and then Xavier Watts, I think he's a stud wherever you put him on the field. The kid's just an athlete. He makes plays. So the secondary, you need to figure it out. Um, It's certainly a point of emphasis. We mentioned receivers earlier. You need top-notch receivers. You need, and then you need guys that can shut down top-notch receivers. Notre Dame really hasn't had either. And then the other thing you, the other two things you need are top-notch edge rushers and you need a quarterback. Those are the four things you need. And Notre Dame has two of them, maybe. You could argue maybe one. So uh, pushing towards those four are it will be really key. And I think Notre Dame is making strides to do that. Yep. You Mason, you nailed all the main things on my list looking forward in recruiting that are my top priorities. I was gonna ask you guys what areas you're thinking. Those are all mine exactly. Like and I don't worry about look at it. That's what's winning. That's what's winning. So you need that. And Nathan and I were talking earlier about, uh, you know, defensive line is going to stay the way it is. Uh, Nathan and I were both saying, you know, I think potentially Keeley starts from from day one. I mean, that that's how good we, wow. we both consider him to be. So, wow. uh, Nathan, I'll let you go ahead and comment Ke- in on this. Um, Keeley's the best player that they've landed. Not, not, I mean, not, let's throw away Kyle Hamilton and Jalen Smith. Let's just say defensive line. I mean, he's the best guy they've landed since Aaron Lynch. Like talent, <laughs> Aaron Lynch. Talent wise, it's just the case. He's gonna Keon Keeley. Like you can mark it down right now. He's gonna be a first round pick. 
In like you guys, man, you really see that much already? I, He's not John, even here yet. John, I'm going to tell you right now, if, if he decommits from Notre Dame and signs with Alabama or something like that, he's going to be the number one pick in the draft or like top five, what number like that, that type of town. He's going to, he's that big of an athletic freak. If it's hypothetically speaking, he leaves Notre Dame's class. Cause I think it's at least somewhat possible. I think it, it helps now that they got some of his, two of his best friends on board, but he just visited Alabama in a, in a different world. Let's just say he signs with Alabama. Guarantee you he's a top 10 player in the class. Wow. Jeez. The, dude, the dude's the- unbelievable. Well, okay. Are we going to lose? And I'm the biggest. I'm the biggest Notre Dame person you're going to find on Aiden Gobira as well. I ranked him number one in in my recruiting rankings for 2022. Um, I think that maybe he needs a year in the weight room, like as a freshman. But like that kid, for me, his ceiling is better than anybody that they've brought in. So, I mean, maybe Julian Aquara aside. Wow. So, so I mean, their their should be great moving forward. Brennan Vernon, another guy that I think me and Mason agree oh on, has God. a lot of elite upside. Um, he might be another kid that's just a tiny bit raw, but I mean, I don't know if you saw the picture of him recently. I mean, he's a legit six five, six six, two eighty five. So he could play. He's all of two eighty five. Yeah, and then you just yeah, look that's... at some of the other guys that they have. I mean, Riley Mills. Yeah. I mean, I know we're all really high on him. You know, you, you have Jason Amalola, Isaiah Foskey coming back. I mean, it's this year and, and moving forward, it's going to be – I know we got off topic. I didn't even get to talk about our, our secondary. But, but you yeah, know, it's defensive line. I don't care who who's coaching them right now. Mike Elson, Al Washington, Mason Plummer, whoever's coaching them. It doesn't matter to me. They're going to they're gonna produce. Good. Um, so the 2022 class, I feel like – everybody was ultra excited about, and then all the drama happened and all the changes. We end up losing a few guys that we're really excited about. I think given, and I can't believe I'm saying this, being me the way I am, given all the changes, all the instability, all the drama, all the unknowns, to still end up with the class we did in the midst of all that, I think that's pretty good for holding it together in the middle of all that stuff going on. What do you guys think overall about that class? No, I agree. And then can you imagine if it was a a full year of Marcus Freeman as head coach being the number one guy on everybody? Because there's, when you look at the, I don't know if you take the time to look through the final 247 guys that were, they just finished those rankings last week. But if you go through there, there's a dozen guys that Notre Dame, like in the top 100, that Notre Dame finished second for. Like, you have to imagine that little extra boost of, of Marcus Freeman. You know, uh, Brian Kelly wasn't even talking to these guys from what we understand now that people aren't afraid to put that info out there. You know, he take a quick picture or whatever. He doesn't know who they are. Marcus Freeman knows these guys. He knows their parents. He knows their dog's name. You know, Marcus Freeman pays attention. And so if you just get, so let's say Notre Dame finished second for a dozen guys. If you land half of those, you're talking about a top three or top four class. And that's what we're going to see in the 2023 class, who Nathan and I both think will be special and on uh, both sides of the ball, not just on defense. Yeah, it, yeah. it's it's exciting. And I'm, I'm just – I really think that – John, I have, is, a, I have a good example for you, John. Go ahead. And I think I've told you this one before. And So twenty the 2021 recruiting class for Notre Dame, I think we all considered it actually pretty good. It finished top 10. They had 27 guys in the class. 
12 of those guys finished as composite four stars. So 15 of them finished as composite three stars. This year, it's pretty much been a complete flip. They yep. have one, they have one five star, 16 four stars, which leaves what four, four three stars. That and then, alone, and then 20, 20 and 23 is building, starting to build out the exact same way. Um, it might even be better than that. I mean, right yeah. now, they don't even have a kid that's like now, 300. <laughs> Nathan, we had this exact discussion a year ago and I had you on and I told you what was bugging me is I'm seeing way too many three stars and those are projects. Those are lottery tickets. Those are unknowns. Those are you hope in three years it's something. And I told you there's too many of those to get where we need to go. I'll give them credit. 22 is a big improvement on that. 23 could be even better. Now, you guys were both right on Styles last year. And that was a big thing you guys were saying. You're going to love it. That's going to be the dude. And you were right. Who could be that guy in this class? You, got, you guys are on the record because you nailed it last year. You were both telling me about him. So who's it going to be this time? This one's a little tougher for me only because... My, like I said, my top guy, Gobira, first of all, he's he's blocked by the best player on the defense in Isaiah Foskey. So that that's tough. Um, Styles obviously got playing time partly due to injury. And, you know, this the wide receiver room didn't have like the dynamic players that, you know, the defensive line has. Um, and then I think a guy like Jalen Sneed, I mean, you look at the linebackers that Notre Dame is bringing back and already has on campus, that's going to be tough. But he also might just be that good. Um, so he's certainly a guy to think about, but man, I mean, and honestly, I think me and Mason would agree with this one. Like before Eli Raritan tore his ACL, I probably would have said, even though he's a tight end, he probably would have been number two behind Michael Mayer. And with the lack of wide receivers they brought in, he might've been a guy that they would have used on a consistent basis. And maybe they still will. I mean, if he recovers well from the ACL injury, I mean, he's a guy, um, I don't know. I think I'd probably have to, st I mean, I know it's, I know it's cliche cause he's the number one kid. He's the number one ranked kid in the class, but I, I think you almost have to go with Jalen Sneed. Um, I think he's a kid that's going to demand playing time. He's he could play Rover, which maybe is their weakest spot. Um, at least from a, I don't know. I don't know. That might not be a fair statement, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, he seems like a kid that's just going to demand playing time. Kind of like how Kyle Hamilton, Jalen Smith, Manti Teo were when they came in. I mean, there were guys ahead of them and they didn't necessarily start the entire year. Um, you know, Kyle Hamilton mixed in with Gilman and, and Elliot. Maybe that's something that happens with Sneed where he just, you know, you almost have to put him on the field at certain times. Yeah, I like the Sneed pick a lot. He's he's a freak is what it comes down to. And not a guy that Notre Dame would have got if it wasn't for Marcus Freeman. Throw that out there. Um, yeah, Sneed's going to demand playing time from day one. He can play wherever you want. He's just an athletic freak. He's Ousu Koromoa over again, probably. Could be better. Um, yeah, but I – Eli – no. <laughs> um, Eli Raritan is, is a good call, too. I, I just wish he could have stayed healthy because he would have played for day, from day one. And he just offers such a dynamic skill set where he can be a red zone threat. And he likes to block, too. And he can, ju he can just do it all. Um, you saw his his ranking skyrocketed. You know, Notre Dame accepted his commitment, and everybody's like, "Oh my god!" Like a, a three star tight end. Thought this was tight end. You 
They see him yeah. shoot up 50 spots. You see him shoot up 100 spots, and all of a sudden he's like a top 50 player in the class. So I'm really excited about him. Uh, I've been going back and forth between uh, I think the offensive guys are, are more potentially exciting as you know getting to play a little bit earlier. Judarian Price is going to probably demand carries from day one. I like him a lot, and then Tobias Merriweather, uh, he being being the we guy. We might need him to play day yeah, one, no matter to. what. He's going to have to play, and yeah. I mean, he's a little bit skinny for right now, uh, given his his height. But uh, he he's going to go out there, and he's going to have to make plays. I mean, he's going to play even a little bit if you can find a route tree that works for him from day one. You know, Stucky. You figure it out. Get him on. Get him on the field. Whatever. I, I know they're not the same position, but I don't need to see a lot of packages with Salerno out there. I don't need to see that. Defense, I call, the, call it the fair catch package. That's his I, package. I think. And John, I think the important part about the 2022 cycle, maybe even over the 2021 cycle, at least going in. I mean, I don't think even I don't think anybody thought that Buckner and Fisher, for example, were going to be starters you know, or, or essentially like playing, you know, a lot of, you know, or being con- big time contributors, same oh. with Joe Walt, like those kind of guys weren't necessarily seen as contributors year one, partly because like, for example, offensive line play Notre Dame has it. So it's like, why, why would Fisher need to be the guy Buckner, you know, maybe, but he also, like we said, he missed all that time. And then you brought in Jack Cohn. So you're like, okay, Jack Cohn's going to be the guy. Th- this cycle, not only I think has maybe some more proven elite, ready to go guys, but you also see some positions of need. And so I like Mason, for example, mentioned Jadarian price. If, if Notre Dame had an issue at running back, Jadarian price would fix that issue this year. And I think we agree, me and him think that highly of him. So you're bringing in not only a guy that can play right away, but if there's an injury, then boom, he's already, then he is going to produce and play right away. I already mentioned Gobira. I mean, I think that's a good example. Foskey somehow goes down. Gobira probably gets some playing time. We've already mentioned the the, the defensive backs in this class um, and, and the defensive back issue. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Jaden Mickey or Benjamin Morrison is just that much better than some of the guys on campus and end up playing. So maybe some of it's necessity, but I also think these guys are – are just more ready and it's a better class overall than, than the 2021 cycle. Well, and there's a chance now they, I mean, those corners you just mentioned just all moved up a spot with Jojo Johnson. Right. So that's, I mean, I don't think he was that great to begin with, but he's a guy that they already had on campus and had training and in the weight room and that kind of thing. So they all just moved up a spot. So that's even more to your point. And that's without mentioning any any of the linebackers outside of Snead. And I think the linebacker class is the best linebacker yeah. class in the country. Yeah. And that yeah. has to do with exactly what we're talking about, Marcus Freeman. Not maybe th- maybe one of those guys commits to Notre Dame, which who, uh, which he already was committed to Notre Dame. Nolan Ziegler, yeah. Jalen Snead, Junior Tully Halamaka, and Joshua Burnham are not at Notre Dame today without Marcus Freeman. It, that is an exciting group to think about. Um, so. As we wrap up here, we're almost an hour in. I have two more questions for you guys, um, and I want you each to answer this. Uh, one is either name the player or the position groups. 23 cycles off to a great start. What do you really want to see Notre Dame prioritize to build that inside that top five, which is kind of the sweet, the, the sweet spot we're trying to get? Could be a player, players, position groups. Who do you need? Uh, who do you need to, us to go for? You want to go first, Mason? No, that's all you. It's your turn to go first, baby. Uh, I think I think it's got to be wide receiver position wise. 
uh, first and foremost, because I do think regardless have room to take seven of them in a class, like you how do you balance it out when it's so off kilter? It's so a problem. The biggest thing I think with wide receiver is, and I think, and I think me and Mason have discussed this even on our podcast um, th- this year, even losing Kevin Austin, you're probably going to be okay. It might not be like this elite receiving core unless Styles and Colsey and maybe Tobias Merriweather just take that like elite step, which I think Styles will personally, and we'll get into that on another day. But I think this year specifically, it's a little overrated because I think they have the depth and returning talent where they'll be okay. It's it's really when Braden Lindsay graduates, Avery Davis will be gone, Joe Joe Wilkins will be gone. Matt Salerno, who's now on scholarship, will be gone. That's four guys out of the eight scholarship wide receivers that you have. Yeah, but all gone. Okay. So you need to hit in 2023 and probably bring in some portal guys too. The problem with all that is you're saying these are guys that we're losing. No offense to them, but that is the problem is that they're just guys. Right. And I'm not trying to be mean, but like it's like, oh, we need Joe Wilkins back. I guess, but it's also just a guy. Like, I keep hearing, oh, we need him to come back. Well, yes and no. Like, we need dudes. So everybody needs to give this staff a couple cycles, and let's see if we get some dudes. What do you think, Mason? Yeah, go get the dudes. Go get Carnell Tate and and just go get these stud receivers who, number one, go get Carnell Tate and go get Jalen Brown. Get both of them. It's not going to happen, but go get both. Make it happen. He Just set that up for you, Mason, so hard. Um, so he set that. I didn't even get to finish answering my question. I was going to start answering the dudes, and then he starts going on a rant about Joe Wilkins. I'm <laughs> sorry. It's dudes. just a dude. It's just a dude. I was trying to bring up the dudes. <laughs> Those are the dudes, though. Go get Carnell Tate. Go get Jalen Brown. Go get Rico Flores. Then go get Dante Moore, and let's go. <laughs> That's it right there. Tried to answer your question, John. You wouldn't let me. You were you. I thought you answered it. I'm just messing with you. No, that in all seriousness, no, even though like Mason mentioned three of the wide receivers that I think they're hot after, and I think two of those guys they actually have a pretty legit shot. That's with what them. I was gonna say. How realistic are those guys for us? So Carnell, I mean, if 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 Harbaugh is to the NFL and it's official and Dante Moore trends to Notre Dame because of it, I think that means Carnell Tate ends up in Notre Dame. Um so Man, and, there and, could be a trickle-down effect of this that I like. And, and the, the problem with, and I, Mason mentioned this earlier, that we finished second for a lot of dudes this past year, even in a really good cycle. Carnell Tate, if, we've, if, if he goes somewhere else, we're finishing second. I can tell you that right now. So yeah, um, that, I would almost really rather finish eighth. It would make me feel better than finishing second at that point. Like, but there's, a, there's definitely some other guys. I mean, Braylon James had a previous relationship with Chancey Stuckey, and he's a top 100 kid out of Texas. Um, that's a kid that they're, I think they're hot after. I mean, I think even a guy like Malik Elzey, if he's your third or fourth wide receiver in the class, that's a really, really good third or fourth receiver. So he can't be your number one, in my opinion, but that's still a guy that I think could be a dude down the road. If we're really talking about that, it's just, you got to land the tape or the, or the Jalen Brown or the Rico Flores. Um, and I, and I personally put Braylon James in that. I mean, you have Kyle, Kyler Casper um, is, is another guy that, really fits the mold of like a, a Chase Claypool. Um, Mason, I know there's a couple other guys we're, we're missing here, but there there's enough guys in this cycle that they should Hannafin's be. not a dude. What do you think of Hannafin? I think Hannafin's just one of those guys, like we talk about all the time. He's a, he's a 
he's an athlete. You take him and you figure out the rest later. And he should be taking four other guys, though. John, a guy that I've already so far ahead, 2024, Bronte Johnson from Fort Wayne. That's um, planting my flag. That's it. Bronte Johnson. Remember the name. What is it? What's the first name? Bronte. Remember the name. Bronte Johnson. Sounds like a 70s porn name, but I'm writing it down. Yep. 6'3", 170, Northside High School in Fort Wayne. Go get Got it. it. Book it. I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna hold you to that. Well, no, Peyton, Peyton Woodyard's the guy. Both of them. Woodyard will be the first commit in the 2024 class. And Woodyard hey, is related to Kyle Hamilton, so there's already the connection. You guys are all over the future. I like this. I like the way this is going. That's the way you got to be. Um, all right. Here's how we're gonna wrap this show up, and this is something that I've been kind of rattling around in my brain recently. Oh boy. Yeah, exactly. That's never a good sign. What do you think are realistic expectations for the first year of Marcus Freeman next year, given so much is new, it's so many firsts with everything, and given the fact that the schedules, there's some big boy hitters on that schedule now. Um, What do you think is realistic for next year? 10 and 2. Do, okay, so I I think playoff is realistic. I think ten and two should be the floor, like just in years past. Wait a second. So the playoffs realistic. So what's ten and two then? It's not. I'm saying like so they should be able. It shouldn't surprise anybody, in my opinion. And and based on the talent they have coming back, what I think they're getting in Marcus Freeman as a head coach. It to me, it shouldn't be surprising if they go eleven and one. I think that would surprise me personally. I think I would be surprised. Not with this year's schedule wouldn't surprise me, but with next year's. And I do want to clarify this because is you're Nathan, like, you're you're probably looking at losing week one and having to win eleven games in a row then to be in the playoff then, right? Or do you well, got no. us beating Ohio State? Maybe, That's maybe. where this gets tricky. Maybe. Just, and I, and I want to clarify, this isn't me being positive. This is me having an expectation for the program. Right. Where I, like I said, it shouldn't, that, that's where I said 10 and two is kind of the floor. And that's what me and Mason and I think me and all of us have agreed on, even under Kelly, that should be the floor every single year. 10 and two with the New Year's Bowl yep. or whatever. And, you know, their minimum. And, that to me, I think that the expectation, I don't think that should change. If we all so, wanted Marcus Freeman to be this dude, then keep the train rolling and let's go. So look at you not allowing any uh, introductory leeway there to feel your way out. High expectations right out of the gate. I love it. I like if goes, that. If he goes nine and three, I guess we'll see if I change my mind. But, but you got to look at it. It's easy to say 10 and two's the floor. Well, okay. You got Ohio state. You got Clemson. You got uh, uh, USC, who got a hell of a lot better officially today, by the way, whatever. It's still something you got to deal with. It's still something you got to deal with. So I think I kind of agree with you that 10 and 2 needs to be that bottom. And if it's anything better, then you start thinking, man, we're really on to something here. Well, and, my, and I think the biggest thing with the 10 and 2 floor is, okay, yeah, you, you mentioned the three games. If you're going to lose all three of those? That what is that? That doesn't prove anything that Kelly left and nothing got better. I mean, obviously, yeah, first time head coach. I mean, I'm not saying that just because he goes nine and three. Well, or oh, wait a second. No, 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 no. 
Wait. I'm not changing my tune. You had, you had, you had to let me finish. But, but it is. But it, but how can you blame if they lose four games next year? I'm still going to blame Kelly Morton Freeman. He didn't recruit those guys that can't defend any passes. Like, how is how are you going to blame Freeman when Kelly's lack of recruiting is why he has bad position groups next year? How are you going to blame my man for that? I wouldn't necessarily blame Freeman more than Kelly, but at the same time, Kelly, since 2016, has established a program that doesn't do any worse than that. So I guess, but he didn't do any favors in recruiting in certain areas either, though. No, I mean, I agree. I mean, I I think Kelly has as much to blame as he as he as you can praise him, essentially, for leaving the program in a good place. You can blame him for other parts of it as well. No, I don't want to get off on this tangent since I said we were finishing up. Do you also both put some blame on what happened in the Fiesta Bowl on Kelly as well with the weird timing and how that was all patchwork together? Who do you blame for the Fiesta Bowl? No, the- if anything, they came out more more pumped than they would have with Kelly. I blame Freeman for not taking control of the defense and giving it to Elston. And then once you see it's going bad, step in. Uh, we don't know what happened, but it seemed like that was Elston's game to call. That was his job interview, and he failed it. It seems like there was some fallout after that, and maybe that's why it makes sense. Elston did what he did. Right. That, that's the way I'm understanding it. Um, that that didn't go well. But Elston might be the only one left on that staff pretty soon. I don't know. Man. I don't know what they're going to do. Who are they going to hire? He's being a little troll, being petty, too. We were talking about this. In our What's he doing? Elston is? Just- well, he offers uh, – he immediately gets try to get Keeley on campus, right? And then he, and then he just offered. It, it was didn't he offer a kid that was at Notre Dame this week? And then yeah, two of them. They, and then they offered uh, Keeley's best friend, who ended up being a preferred walk on at Notre Dame anyway. So that was a big win for Notre Dame in that sense. Um, Trey yeah, Reed. Uh, to answer your question, John, though i I don't think it it was Kelly's fault in the sense that he left the program and like kind of like up, you know, kind of just left the program up and dry or whatever. I don't think it was his fault that they blew a whatever lead. And I mean, I don't think you can blame the coach that wasn't even there that they, that they lost that game when they had no business losing it after what their, what the score was. A lot of people asked, you know, if Kelly was coaching this game, would we have had that big collapse and given up that lead? My answer to that is philosophically no, because if Kelly was there, we would have never had that lead to lose to begin with. So we wouldn't even have been in that situation. Though Notre Dame, did the same thing, uh, Notre Dame did the same thing at the end of the first half that Kelly would have done, sit on the ball. God, yeah, that's true. Um, anything else I'm forgetting you guys want to cover? Because I, you covered everything I had. Anything else? I don't think so, other than I have one more point on the schedule. You know, if you mentioned the big three, Ohio State, Clemson, USC. Win two of those three, that's a that that's good for me. That would be I, – I, I couldn't have a problem with that. If you won two of those three, I could not be mad at that, especially with the guy in his first year learning his way with the new staff. Here's the other thing. Even if next year is a little rough, I think I could deal with it. I, like, load up that schedule Freeman's first year when he's already learning and things are kind of, there's going to be some little grace period for the guy's first year to get established. If you got to take some lumps, take them now. 
and let everybody feel what that feels like. Look what it's like to play against NFL, Ohio State roster or whatever. I think all of that is going to benefit all these people, players and coaches, so that when you get through these wars this year, the tough schedule repeats the following year, okay? By the time we're two, three, four years down this road, that's where you got your battle-tested scars, some older guys that remember what it's like to get the crap kicked out of you a couple years ago. That vibe is a very 88-ish vibe, that particular vibe. And, and growing and living through those pains and coming out champions on the other side. That's the vision, friends. And that was going to be my main point that I was getting to when I said that the floor was 10-2. and two. Like, to me, the floor is 10-2. I'll be upset with something less because I think this team is too good in my opinion, to, to, to lose like all the big games that they play essentially. But at the same time, I'm not going to give up on Freeman or the, or the, you know, the trajectory of the program, if they do finish nine and three or whatever they end up doing. So. Well, you got to give, you got to let the guy recruit. I'm not judging anything until I have a fat body of recruiting work. That's all Marcus Freeman and not the Bayou Bengal Bryant. Hopefully it's a little bit more of a muscular body than fat body, but. You get what I'm saying though. Give me two, three, four years of Marcus Freeman's staff's recruiting and let's see where we're at. Um, but I'm thrilled about where this is going. It's the, legitimately the most excited I've been about the trajectory of the program. They finally did exactly what I've been begging for. Doing something new outside the box. I love this young energy, and I think it's going to pay off in the fall. Anything else, guys? I'm good. That's it. Make sure to check out the Golden Homers podcast. That's where you'll find us, too. The Golden Homers. You guys, that show is good, and that show continues to get better. You guys are good at what you do. So thank you very much for joining me. Everybody, follow these guys on Twitter. Follow the Golden Homers. Check them out. Have a good night. Take care.